We're following in our, our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and it comes from Matthew chapter 7. We uh, finished chapter 6 and are now headed into the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And um, why don't we go ahead and, and read that, and then we'll, we'll discuss it for a few minutes this morning. There, Jesus writes, starting in verse 1, or Jesus says, starting in verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time the plank is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. So, this is a really, I mean, every message here is is really challenging. Um, I think... Um, for me, for many of us, this, this one is particularly uh, challenging this morning. Um, and I, I, So I want to break it, rather than talking about it all at once, I want to break it up into three parts. We're going to talk about the first two verses, and then the third through fifth verses, and then we'll kind of finish up with the sixth verse, and then we'll try to tie it all together with some application this morning. Um, so those first two verses, Jesus says, Don't judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, there are some texts in the Bible that are be ta- are be taken at face value, like "do not murder." That pretty much means "do not murder." Like, it, there's no like real hidden agenda or message underlying that. God just doesn't want you to murder because it's not in His heart. That's not who He is, and flat out, just don't murder. But today's text should probably be viewed a little differently. It's more of a guiding principle that is derived from the heart of God and to be implemented through the power of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. Then it is a law that if broken will kind of bear punishment. God is revealing His heart, His mind, His spirit through the Sermon on the Mount and saying to His disciples that they should follow His example. It's not just about doing the right thing, it's about having the right heart. We've talked about that all throughout our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And as with every other section of the Sermon on the Mount, the right heart drives right action here in chapter 7 as well. The idea of not judging is that that we don't do it with contempt or condemnation. It's not that you don't ever judge. It's not that you don't ever call out a sin as a sin, right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. It's, It's that you... I guess sometimes we, we, we're more comfortable doing that, maybe not, not calling sins sins, and we'll get into that in a moment. But it's not that you don't judge, but that when you judge, you don't take the person, the other person's sin personally. Let me kind of break that down. In other words, your, your judgment, when we judge sin in someone else's life as believers in Jesus Christ, we do it for their benefit and not for ours. 
It's an objective judging. Judging with a personal agenda because of sin, I think, is most of the time our default. And it manifests itself in, in lots of different ways and all of them tragic. Sometimes it occurs because someone is doing something that we struggle with. Ever been there? Ever seen somebody doing something that you know, you know for a fact, in, in, in the quiet, kind of dark places that nobody sees, you're doing the same thing? And you're calling them out for it? And, and, and oftentimes we do that because we want to distract from what, what we're struggling with. If we can draw attention to them struggling with it, people aren't going to see us struggling with it. And so we don't have to, we don't have to deal with that. At other times it occurs when we're confronted with a sin in someone else's life that makes us really uncomfortable. Or that we don't understand. Or a sin, a sin that we don't know how to help them with. And so we condemn them for it. We despise them for it. We punish them for it by social rejection or verbal assault. Because when we do this, we don't have to really help them with their sin. We can push them away and keep them at arm's length because it's easier than the messy work of helping them to heal their wounds. In both these ways and many more, we judge someone for our benefit, not for theirs. And here Jesus is saying, don't do that. This doesn't mean that we neglect the truth or our responsibility to adhere to God's revealed design and patterns for living or help our brothers to do the same. And sisters, sorry. Brothers and sisters to do the same. But it does mean that when we do it, we live generous and gracious lives in doing it. We must be careful never to forget who we are and who we have been. So often we shake our fingers at one another, condemning each other for sin committed, forgetting that we are no better than anybody else. We too have committed sin, just as heinous, but for the grace of God we have been saved. We do well to have a healthy clarity in regard to our sin, past and present, and God's abundant, unearned mercy and grace that drove Him to care for our sin for us when we come into the realm of judging. There's a story in that, uh, that Luke tells in, in Luke chapter 7 of, of Jesus. And he goes to this Pharisee's house. And he goes there for, for a meal. And everybody sits down at the meal. And when Jesus sits down, this woman kind of comes up behind him. And the scripture says that she's a sinful woman. And doesn't really get into what her sin was, but it was obviously very public. Everybody knew about it, and it was, and it was one that just kind of really stood out. So anyway, everybody knew she was a sinful woman, and she comes up behind him, and his, I guess his, you know, his feet were kind of behind him because they were sitting on the ground. They weren't sitting at chairs at a table, but kind of feet behind him. And this woman comes up behind him, and and she, she, she cries right when she's there in his presence. And her tears drip from her face down on his feet. And they, they wet, her tears wet his feet. And then she takes her hair and she begins to, to, to wipe his feet with her, with her hair. Not with a towel, but with her hair. And then, 
after she, she, she's done that, she, she kisses his feet, right? Dirty, smelly, feet. She does it joyfully. And she takes this jar of, of perfume and she breaks it open and she pours it over his feet at, at great expense. And, and she does all this, this beautiful stuff and, and this Pharisee that has invited Jesus to his home for this meal thinks to himself, the Scripture says that he thinks to himself, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't even allow her to touch him. And Jesus, knowing what the Pharisee is thinking says to the Pharisee, let me tell you something. Let me share something with you. There's this money lender who had two people that owed him money. And one owed him the equivalent of a modern-day $5,000. And the other owed the same money lender the equivalent of modern-day $50,000. And the money lender knew that neither of them had any hope of ever paying him back. Just had no way of doing that. And so he forgives the debt for both of the people. And Jesus looks at this Pharisee who's, who's saying to himself, if he knew who that woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him. Jesus looks at him and says, who would love the money lender more? The one forgiven 5000 or the one forgiven 50000 And the Pharisee replied, well, obviously the one who owed him more. And Jesus says, you know what? You've judged correctly. From the minute I showed up, You didn't give me water to wash my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears. And you did not greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Not my cheek, but my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Her many sins have been forgiven. This is what her loving actions show. And I'm paraphrasing here, but this is what it's communicating. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The point behind the first two verses of our text today about judging, do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, is the point behind this text from Luke 7 as well. That woman did all those things for Jesus when the Pharisee didn't do any, because she was keenly aware of how much she had been forgiven. She loved him because he loved her so much. Her actions expressed that. The greater understanding we have of the depth of our sin and the mountains of grace God has offered us, the more generous we will be with our brothers and sisters when we're judging them for theirs. Never means we excuse sin. We never excuse sin. But we will deal incredibly tenderly with one another if when we go to call someone on sin, we have in mind this keen awareness of how much we have been forgiven and how tenderly God has dealt with us. And and also as a result of our keen awareness of being forgiven ourselves, when we go to to work with a brother and sister on their sin, the more willing we will be to jump into life with them and walk with them toward healing and wholeness rather than just pointing fingers and invoking punishment.
And I'm not pointing fingers just at you today. This is something I struggle with, right? As a pastor, I get to see a lot of, like, junk. And um, if I'm to be honest, like, even now, sin just tempts me every day to judge you for what I know about you. To point a finger and say, you shouldn't do that. So I, like, I need you, you need me, and we need together to continually remind one another and ourselves of what God has done for us so that when we learn about each other's sin, when we come to know it, we don't just point fingers and condemn, but we lovingly confront and prayerfully ask God to be used to help heal the sin in each other's lives. It's not enough just to tell somebody what they did wrong. And that's what Jesus is getting at in those two verses. It's a reflection of how much we've been forgiven on our realization of that and how we judge one another. Okay, then he goes on in verses 3 to 5, and he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in yours? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There are two issues here that I think we need to deal with. One of them is, I think one of the pieces Jesus is communicating is that we must care for one another, okay? Like we have to take care of each other. And the second is, we must take adequate steps for our own spiritual self-care in order to properly care for one another. So the first one Jesus clearly says that we're supposed to take the speck out of our brother's eye. He never says that you're not supposed to, completely supposed to not judge sin in another person's life. Never says that. In fact, he says the opposite. You are supposed to. And you're supposed to take the speck out of their eye, the sin out of their life. He wants us to help one another with physical tasks, emotional wounding. He also wants us to take responsibility to love each other through spiritual care. The church was not designed to be a bunch of individuals living in autonomy. In fact, just the opposite is true. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, So that there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So we suffer with one another, we rejoice with one another, we do life together. This means we are required to care for each other's spiritual well-being. If you are not spiritually well, if there's some type of sin issue you're apparently struggling with and not dealing with, then it is the church's responsibility to care for you, to challenge you, to lovingly redirect you to the truth. There are like personal, corporate, and societal reasons for this. Personally, we, we should want each other to be in a good, healthy relationship with God because that is life-giving. The opposite of that is death, spiritual death. And we should never want spiritual death for each other. So for like a personal reason is we want you to have life. And so that, we're not just about getting in each other's business to be in each other's business and to gossip. We are, in, uh, we are about confronting sin in each other's lives because we want each other to have life. 
There's a corporate reason though for it as well. There's no personal sin. When you sin, your sin, your personal sin affects the body. Right? It affects the body. When when we sin, it doesn't just affect what happens like internally. It affects our emotions. It affects our capabilities. And, and because of that, it spills out into other people's lives. If you're sinning and you're not repenting of it, there's stuff going on that I promise you is coming out. And other people are seeing it. Other people are experiencing it. You're a little, little shorter with people, probably. You're a little more irritable, right? You're, you're not as nice and, and friendly or loving, and um, you're, you're probably more judging, right? Like we talked about earlier. And all of these things and a thousand more affect others in the body. There's also societal reasons. When you live in sin, in the context of this body, and other people see this body, and they see us living in sin and just being okay with it, what do they think about Christ? They think he's okay with it. They think that's what he wants. They think that's how he's designed it. And they say, if that's how God's people act, if that's the effect that he has on them, no effect at all, then I don't want anything to do with him. What's the point? How does that... How do, what, what is the reason for being a part of that if it has no effect on anybody? What is the point of giving money, my hard-earned money, to God through a church if it doesn't change anything? What is the point of giving up hours each week to serving there if it affects no change? There isn't one. The reason, one of the reasons or some of the reasons we have to care for each other are for personal, corporate, and societal. We have to care for each other. Jesus tells us to, to take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye. However, he says to do this only after we have taken the log or beam out of ours. And that brings us to our second point in this section, and that's, we must take adequate steps for our own spiritual self-care in order to be able to properly care for one another. Probably don't need to belabor this point, but I think a comment or two is really probably necessary and helpful. First, the log speaks to hypocrisy. Um, Jesus commented on hypocrisy in the last chapter when he talked about giving, prayer, and fasting. He says it's kind of pointless if you're, if you're giving just to, to God, but you're doing it so everybody else sees it and gives you like, attention for it, positive attention for it. Same thing with prayer. Same thing with fasting. He said it's not about what other people see. It's about you and the Lord. And if you're doing it for what other people see and not because of the Lord, then you're a hypocrite. You're acting like one thing, but you're really something else. The same is, is what Jesus is, is, is talking about here. He's saying if, if you have a log in your eye but you're trying to take a speck out of somebody else's eye, you're acting as if you have no issues, no problems, nothing, uh, when you really have major problems. And because of that, 
it's going to affect your ability to help your brother or sister with their sin. And he said, you can't do that. You first have to deal with yours before you can deal with theirs. And if we don't deal with our sin, if we don't deal with the log that's in there, it limits our ability and opportunity to help our brothers and sisters. It limits your ability um, because hypocrisy clouds our judgment and it taints our counsel that we're able to offer to one another. Giving advice to someone from your experience when your experience is full of failure and you haven't come to terms with it likely likely makes your advice faulty. Um, Additionally, when you're living in unrepentant sin, you just are really spiritually clouded. Like, you're doing things that you wouldn't normally do. You're saying things that you wouldn't normally say. You're not looking to the Lord for guidance because you, if you look at Him, you're going to be confronted with the need to deal with your sin. So you ignore Him, which means you're giving counsel out of your own like ability, which is a really bad idea when giving spiritual counsel to someone. And, you know, we see this all throughout Scripture. David is one of those people. You know, he sins with Bathsheba. He gets into that bad sin. And then rather than dealing with it, he tries to cover it up. He makes another bad sin, right? Like, his, because he's not dealing with his own sin, it compels him or pushes him to do other bad things. It clouds him spiritually, and he's not able to get right until he, at the end of the situation, deals with it and repents. Then he gets right, and he's able to, to do things for the Lord and by the Lord again. And the same is true of, of us. If we don't deal with our sin, we're not trusting the Lord to give somebody what they need to hear, and we're giving it from ourselves, and that's always a bad idea and will always be clouded. And sin will beget sin if it's not dealt with. But that doesn't, your sin, if it's dealt with, doesn't limit your ability. If it's if your sin is dealt with, you're able to again have the ability to speak truth into somebody's life because you're reconnected with Jesus and then Jesus is actually able to use get this, use your sin to speak truth into someone else's life. Which is an amazing like picture of redemption. Um, I've experienced this. Dottie and I went on a cruise and a few months ago for our 15th anniversary, actually over a year ago, gosh, uh, over a year ago, and um, and we sat down to dinner one night, I've told some of you this story, and there's this couple sitting next to us, they say you have your own table, but really the tables are like this far apart, <laughs> and so you're really, you're right kind of there, um, it's enough buffer that if you don't want to talk to the people, you don't have to, but you generally do anyway, so we started talking with this couple, he ended up being like uh, MD, PhD, who was a researcher and doctor, at um, NYU in New York City. She was a biological researcher for some biotech firm, kind of like New York Power couple kind of people. And um, then there's me. Dottie's a professor, which is awesome. And But at that time, I was a stay-at-home dad. And um, kind of grappling, coming to terms with the fact that I was a stay-at-home dad. And um, not real proud of it. Well, thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. And I had finally, yes, I have finally just come to terms with the fact that I was a stay-at-home dad. So the conversation goes around. Everybody tells what they do. And then he looks at me and he says, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a stay-at-home dad right now. And he looks at me and he said, that's fantastic. Which is the last thing I thought this guy was going to say. Because I'm pretty sure they weren't Christians. And based on his career path, um, I didn't expect that. And he said, 
for all of my life, I've invested myself in my career at the expense of my children. And as a result, today, I don't really have a relationship with my kids because I chased my career rather than chasing them. And he said, I regret that. And so when I hear you say that you're a stay-at-home dad, I think that is fantastic because it means you're putting your family first. That man had the ability to speak truth into my life at that moment because not because he was sinless, but because he had dealt with it. And when we bring that into a more like truly spiritual realm, the same is even it's even heightened for us. When we deal with our sin, it's not that we can't ever speak truth into somebody's life in an area where we have sinned in the past. But God is able to redeem that to the point where he's able to use even our past failures to speak truth into the life of another believer. But it only happens if we deal with our sin. If we come to terms with our sin, if we repent of our sin. That's what gives us the ability. Otherwise, we don't. If Spiritual care is also important because spiritual care gives us opportunity to speak truth life and truth through the power of the Holy Spirit into the life of other believers who are caught in sin. And I'll put it this way, try to keep it real short. Um, people don't want to get advice from others who don't know what they're talking about, right? So like, if you're looking for a financial advisor and you find this, this guy who's like 72 years old, um, has been a financial advisor all his life, but um, is upside down and there's house payments. His house is like being repossessed. His car payments are way past due. He has no money in the bank in order to retire. Like everything financially is kind of messed up in this guy's life. And you're going to him to get advice on how to order your financial lives. Are you going to do that? Probably not, right? Probably not. He has lost opportunity to speak truth into your life because he didn't deal well with his own financial life. We have opportunity to speak life and truth into our brothers and sisters who are hurting when we take good spiritual care of ourselves. If we don't, people aren't going to look to you for advice. And if they do, they're crazy and I need to talk to them. We must take good care of ourselves so we are positioned to have the opportunity for people to come to us and for us to speak truth into their lives. As we consider this log or beam, I think we would also be wise as we close out this piece of it, of this, of this text, to consider that the log or beam doesn't necessarily correlate in topic or substance to the spec that is in your family member's eye. In other words, the log or spec issue is less about offering pertinent advice and more about credibility. So, if somebody is um, struggling with lying, right, and they come and, and you see it in their lives and you want to go and address it with them, and, but you, and you don't struggle with lying, but you're cheating on your wife. That doesn't, even though you don't struggle with lying and you're struggling with another sin, you are not positioned to speak life into that, that person. Just because you don't struggle with, they, with what they struggle with doesn't 
mean that you now have permission to speak life or ability or opportunity to speak life into them. If you have some other type of sin that's just kind of hanging out over here that you're not dealing with. Just because the sins don't correlate doesn't mean you should be able or you have the opportunity or the ability to speak life into someone else. A healthy church requires healthy believers. A body is the sum of its parts. A healthy church is similar in this respect. We must constantly be working to keep ourselves healthy so that we can keep one another healthy. And we must work to keep one another healthy so that our body can be healthy. Um, and that doesn't happen by accident. Our, our default is not health. Our default is brokenness and sin and death. Unfortunately, I think we live as though our default is health. And so we don't take intentional steps towards creating health in our lives or in our brothers' and sisters' lives. And because of that, our church, not just, I mean, I think our church, definitely, I think the church in general, but let's just speak specifically to Living Legacy. I think we're not as positioned as we could to be as effective for the Lord as we could be because we aren't taking good enough care of ourselves and each other. Because we're not being intentional about it. We're living as though our default is life and health. So I got a text last week from one of my brothers here at Living Legacy saying, hey, I know I'm not reading my Bible as much as I should, and I really want to read it more. So could you and me and two other guys get into an accountability group where we text each other each day, just texting saying, hey, I've read my scripture and here's what it was. And you can add like a comment. If you learned something, that's great, but you don't have to. But just having a little accountability so that I'm sure to take care of myself. That's an intentional step towards spiritual health. And he did that because he knew that his default was death, not life. Those are the kind of things we need to be doing. If we don't want to just kind of exist, if we really want to excel and and really glorify the Lord, we have to up our game. We have to up our game. The the, the really great thing is if we do up our game, God's going to bless that. And there is going to be life here and pouring out of us like you can't possibly imagine. And we have evidence of that in the New Testament. Right? They upped their game. And look what happened to the church. It just exploded. It was just pouring out of them. Life was pouring out of them. But that takes some intentional work. So Jesus closes this section in verse 6, and he says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and tear you to pieces. All that I want to say about this section, I have a lot more, but I'm running out of time, is that we have to be discerning in, in one, our accountability, like who we're trying to hold accountable, um, knowing that um, we need to do it the right way, but we also need to do it with the right people. And also with our gospel sharing, we need to be really discerning. Pigs and um, and what do you say? Pigs and um, dogs were not cuddly little things. I have this cute little cuddly white fluffball dog. Her name's Bella. 
and she's adorable. That is not the dog that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about like a mangy, dirty, like gnarling, like foaming at the mouth kind of like junkyard dog. And, and he's talking about some crazy, wild, aggressive pigs. And he's saying, look, be discerning who you speak life into because not everybody's going to receive it. And um, you just need to be discerning. And I would love to talk with you a little bit more. If you have questions about that, we can, we can talk about that at another time a little bit more. But here's the thing. I want to I close here. Um, some of us are walking around spiritually secure in regard to eternity, but spiritually useless in regard to the present. We have trusted Jesus with our eternity and think or live as though the present doesn't matter. This is not true. The present matters. D.L. Moody once commented, he said, My friends, we have got to have a higher type of Christianity or the church is gone. It is wrong for men or women to profess what they do not possess. If you are not overcoming temptations, the world is overcoming you. Just get on your knees and ask God to help you. My friends, let us go to God and ask Him to search us. Let us ask Him to wake us up. And let us not think that just because we are church members, we are all right. We are all wrong if we are not getting victory over sin. It's not enough to be saved for eternity. If we are truly saved by Christ, we must be saved here as much as we are there. That means by the power of the Spirit, we are overcoming sin now. Not that we're perfect. We're never going to be perfect this side of eternity. But that we're having victory over sin and bearing fruit of God within. We must be taking logs out of our own eyes so that we are prepared to in love and in tenderness and in grace help our brother take a speck out of his. If we don't, we live as hypocrites, as shells of people, wearing masks that make us look the part but completely substantless to affect change or offer help in the life of the body. We don't need actors. We need reality. Today we're going to close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And um, I kind of surprised you guys with this. Hopefully, maybe Mark, you can just play something for me for a, little, for a few minutes. Um, we're going to close today by giving you some time to talk with the Lord and to confess your sin. Before we can help each other, we must be well ourselves. We have to take those logs out of our eyes. I don't know what yours is, but I'm pretty sure most of us have them this morning. And so we're going to take just a minute or two, and we're going to give you some time. We're just going to have a little music playing. I'm going to have one or two people in the back praying. If you need somebody to pray over you, they're going to be there at the table. You can just... Go back there and they will pray with you. If you just want to pray by yourself back there, that's fine. If you want to come forward, I know we don't have an altar, but we have some really cool steps. And you're welcome to pray at the really cool steps. Or if you want to do it in your seat, that's fine. But I know that sometimes, all the time, but sometimes especially, our spirits are connected with physical action. And when we do a physical action, it somehow like motivates spiritual change. And so sometimes we actually need to get up and do something. So if that's you this morning, if just sitting there might not be enough, we invite you, you can go to the back and sit at a table. You can come up here and, and pray, and I'll be here, and there'll be people in the back if you want prayer. But 
we want to challenge you to confess, to get right. Because the well-being of living legacy, the well-being of the church, and the well-being of those who are outside of here who have not yet come into the church is at stake. We can't do what God has for us to do with logs in our eyes. So let's take a few minutes before we close this morning. Let's just go to the Lord and confess sin so that we can be made right and be positioned to do what He has for us to do in each other's lives and the lives of the lost. Let's pray. Father, as I'm, as I'm praying this morning, I'm just uh, sensing that I myself, and I, I think you're telling me, all of us, I just had this picture of just not me just pulling one log out of my eye, but multiple. That it's kind of like that proverbial string on the sweater. When we start pulling, we start seeing more and more and more. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. Lord, I would just pray in Jesus' name this morning as we are confessing our sin that we wouldn't be afraid. That we would, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open us, Lord, today to your, your spirit so that you could go in and do some work inside of us. So you could wake us up to some things that we 
we just really don't want to look at. We really just want to act like they're not there because if, if we look at them, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be painful and we're going to have to we're going to have to come to terms with we're not this person that we've, we've projected. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would break our hearts today. You would soften us today. That you would open us today to you so that you can come in and begin to help us to pull these things out. Because it's only when we pull them out, when these logs start just coming from, from outside of us and, and, and we start dealing with them, that we are positioned to be who you have for us to be. Otherwise, we're just kind of limping along and not terribly spiritually useful. But Father, we know that the hope of our, our text today is that if, if we're willing to pull them out and put them on the table to, to repent of them, to, to let you deal with them in our, in our lives, to, to overcome them, that, that we will be positioned to help each other we will be positioned to be victorious. We will be positioned to be, be ambassadors for you to be, to be just, uh, just to, to, to exude and, and, and really just kind of overflow with life in our community. We will be this, this refuge for each other and for the lost and the broken and the hurting. We will have the opportunity and position and ability to, to be used by you to heal wounds and to bring life into dead and dark places. So Lord, we we just don't want to settle anymore. Please, in Jesus' name, break us today. Pull out those logs from our eyes today so that we can be what you need us to be in this community and for this community for one another, and for your glory. We love you so much. Because of that, we don't want to settle. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for taking our sin and taking it as far away from us as the east is from the west. We thank you that when you see us, you don't see our brokenness any longer, but you see Jesus' righteousness. We are clothed in Christ. Thank you for loving us. And we pray in Jesus' name we would be overcome with that love and that grace and that mercy so that our tears would fall at your feet. So that we, we could wash your feet with our hair. So that we could break, we, we would have this overwhelming desire to break costly perfume and pour it over your feet. So that we could, we, we would just desire to be in your presence and kiss those feet. Let us be overwhelmed by you today so that we can be positioned to be who you need us to be. We love you. And we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.